Good morning, 26 West Church. How we doing? The mysterious voice from the back corner. Hey, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is just a sweet season, right, of Advent? It's good. It's good. We are doing a series called Unexpected. And as I moved here, me and my family, we moved here about two years ago. It got me thinking about things that were expected and unexpected about uh, our family moving to Oregon. Uh, what was expected is that I would love it. Friends, family, they all said, you know, Stephen, you're going to love the Pacific Northwest. It's no surprise you're moving there. As I'm from Northern California, I spent 10 years in Arizona. As I love the local sports teams, as I, I love the rain and the gray, I remember we'd only get about five misty, rainy days a year in Arizona. And I would like want to go on a walk out in it. I'd be like at a local coffee shop, like, can we go sit out on the patio? And the person would be like, why? It's raining. I'm like, because it's raining. I just got to, I just got to experience it. And uh, uh, two years later, I can say that, that energy is still happening here as, as I play golf with Jose and Brett and others, and you basically need a canoe to go get your ball. And so that, that's still happening. What was unexpected, though, was that my wife is loving it. And as she's from Orange County, like 10 minutes from Huntington Beach, and you know, also lived in Arizona, obviously. And that much sun, then followed by this much gray, can be pretty rough, right? And so uh, I, I'd like to personally thank Cannon Beach for being here, uh, as my wife has has definitely loved that. It's been unexpected, but good. Uh, as a family, though, when we first moved here about two years ago, we would just get in the car and like drive. Or we'd just walk around the neighborhood, and I think about every 30 seconds, we'd just say, wow, look at that. And it'd be like a tree, you know, or like a, uh, it'd be like a stream. You know, we'd be like detoxing from Arizona. We'd be on a hike, and just every turn, be like, look at that, it's grass. You know, I remember the first time we... Uh, went to Cannon Beach and kind of turned that corner. If you've driven there, you know what I'm talking about. And you saw Haystack Rock for the first time. We just stopped. I don't know how long we sat there in silence, but it was a long time. And uh, I just think, wow, right? And what's wild, though, is two years later, we aren't driving around in the same way. Multnomah Falls, Haystack Rock, Washington Park, right? These places haven't changed in the last two years. But they've become so familiar that it's been easy to take this objectively beautiful and amazing environment for granted. What once amazed us, left us saying, wow, has just become normal, has just become normal. And here's the deal. I think we can do the same thing with the Advent story. We become so familiar with the, right, the shepherds and the star and there's no room at the end and conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the manger, the story, right? We've become so familiar with it that we can actually miss it. We can become so familiar with a story that we can actually miss it. And my goal this morning is that we would remember afresh the utterly shocking, the utterly unexpected reality that God himself took on flesh. Church family, would we get re-enchanted this morning with the Advent story? Would we be struck anew with the beauty and glory and awe of Advent? Would we be struck afresh with the awe of Advent? You with me? All right, let's get to it. We're looking at a few scriptures today, but let's start actually with John chapter one, verses one to five and also verse 14. What I actually wanna do, I've loved that we've been doing this, is actually stand and read it aloud uh, together. So if you would, would you stand with me? And we're doing this as a sign of reverence and awe for God and for his word, but I also think this is important. There's a difference between the words we're about to read and my words. You don't need to stand for my words. I'm just a man. But we stand at a reverence and awe for God and his word. Let's read this in one voice. In the beginning was the word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray, remain standing. Jesus, we thank you that you came and took on flesh. We thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, as you orchestrated this, would you help us now see this story afresh? Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to behold the glory of you, God, taking on flesh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. As the text says that we just read, God, the one who made all things, the one who's before all things, the author of life itself, the victorious light that darkness cannot overcome. Amen and amen and amen. The supreme, eternal, all-powerful word of glory, grace, and truth. God takes on flesh. It's wow. God takes on flesh. So to help us unpack this weighty, this beautiful, just this overwhelming reality, I got three big questions to guide our time today. First, what does this mean? Why was it unexpected, and how does it shape our lives today? So number one, what does it mean that God took on flesh? Let's just take a step back here for a second. We're in this season of Advent, which isn't a word we use very often, right? I don't say going around, use the word Advent in just my common vocabulary. Uh, But it simply means arrival. It simply means coming. It means the arrival of someone, the arrival of Jesus. So Jesus' first arrival, his Advent, was his taking on flesh, being born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We read about these realities last week in Luke 1, and I actually wanna look at that again. The angel tells Mary, uh, starting in verse 31, it'll be up on the screen. The angel says, you will conceive, Mary, and give birth to a son, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Hold on to that, come up in a minute. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? It's a very fair question. The angel answered. Again, let's try to see this story afresh. It's a very appropriate question, Mary. Uh, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So here in Luke and in the language of John that we just read together of the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, all of this is theologically called the incarnation. The incarnation. If you know Spanish, you you know the word carne means what? Means meat, yes. Meat in carne, God with meat, God with flesh, incarnation. Arizona taught me some things. God took on flesh, God took on flesh. See, Jesus, he's not a spirit like floating around. No, he, the eternal God, incarnated and took on real flesh and blood. Not only that, fast forward a bit. His resurrection, he took on a physical body as well, right? All of this means that our physical lives matter. Our bodies matter. Creation matters. God created everything, and it was very what? Very good, including our bodies. But they have been infected and affected by sin. And the reality is we holistically, mind, body, soul, need redemption, and we need healing. 
And just kind of a quick heads up aside, we're actually going to be spending much of the winter season ahead after Advent talking about sexuality, talking about gender, talking about our bodies out of 1 Corinthians because our bodies matter. What we do with our bodies matters. And the incarnation declares this. All of scripture declares this. Our whole bodies matter. From womb to tomb, our bodies matter. Unborn bodies matter. All of us, when we were in the womb, it mattered. And Advent, again, uniquely tells us this. The incarnation, that God comes as a baby, as an unborn baby in Mary's stomach. The first person to recognize Jesus is John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb. Our bodies matter. From womb to tomb, our bodies matter. And on this point, in fact, the first heresy that the early church had to correct, so it was that important, was something called Gnosticism. And say it all together, Gnosticism, three, two, one, Gnosticism. There you go. It starts with a G. It kind of, you know, looks funny. Gnosticism. Stay with me. We're going somewhere important. <laughs> Gnosticism wrongly said that Jesus wasn't actually human. He just looked human. He was a spirit that looked human, which is troubling on a lot of levels, including like God's a trickster, right? It's, it, The church had to, in one united voice, say, no. Jesus took on a real body, was fully man, was fully God. And why this matters is if Jesus is not fully man, if he's not truly fully man, then he cannot be humanity's representative, sacrifice to pay for our sins. And if Jesus is not fully God, then he doesn't have the authority to forgive and to redeem. But the incarnation says, God taking on flesh says that Jesus is fully God and fully man, which means he alone can fully save. And this point, this is not something like 26 West came up with. This is something the church, global, historic, all times, all places has said yes to. God taking on flesh, incarnation, fully God, fully man. Theology matters. Incarnation leads to salvation. God took on flesh. Are we tracking? We tracking, all right. Another point of what the incarnation means, so we're doing this first big question, what is this incarnate, what is this God taking on flesh, what does it mean? Did you notice in Luke 1 that he made a big deal out of the lineage of Jesus and the descendant of, of David? Remember when I said, like, hold on to that? David, if, if you're unfamiliar with the church, remember, like, David and Goliath, you know, the stones and taken out, you know, uh, the story that we tell our, our children, David and Goliath, he eventually became king of all of Israel, and God gave him the promise that one of his descendants would reign forever. See, in your own time, look up Luke chapter three, look up Matthew one, the gospel writers are doing something really important here. They're showing the entire family tree of Jesus mapped out, which points to David as that he's that promised king that would reign forever, but also they rewind the clock back far enough that they actually go to the original parents of humanity, Adam and Eve. And these aren't fun facts. It isn't just like Matthew and Luke want to say like, oh, look at this. Isn't this interesting? Go on to Ancestry.com and find out, you know, where you come from or something like that. That's that's not what's going on here. This is important. As I already alluded to, Jesus is the promised king from the line of David whose kingdom would reign forever. But he's also the promised offspring of Eve who would destroy the serpent Satan as God promised in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three. What this means is that in Jesus, the one who would finally undo all death, disease, the one who would finally undo the curse, defeat sin and Satan and darkness, this one is finally here. And this is good news. He is finally here. For Jesus is the life and the light of the world. And as John said, the darkness has not overcome it. 
the one we've been waiting for is finally here. The one Israel was longing for is finally here. One of my favorite pieces of art actually illustrates this good news. I have a photo of it on the screen. This is Mary Consoles Eve by Sister Grace Remington. What you can see on the screen there is that's Eve on the left with her fruit, being consoled by Mary, for the child in her womb is Jesus, the one to crush that old serpent's head. So what does it mean that God took on flesh? What does it mean? Nothing short of the salvation of the world and the restoration of all things. What does it mean that God took on flesh? Nothing short of the salvation of the world and the restoration of all things. So God took on flesh. That is the hope for all of history and all of humanity. But we have a second question. Let's keep moving. Why was it unexpected? God taking on flesh, why was this unexpected? I'll be honest, we could do a 20-part teaching series on why it was unexpected, uh, the incarnation. But let's zoom in just on two aspects. And you may be saying, Stephen, what about this, this, this? Yes, (laughs) we're just gonna zoom in on two. First, God taking on flesh was unexpected through the very idea of a virgin birth, right? (laughs) If you're sitting here and maybe you're new to the Christian faith or you're here and you're like, I don't know if I believe this, I got dragged here by a friend, you might be like, Stephen, are you gonna address like this whole virgin birth thing? Because this seems pretty unexpected. Yes, we're gonna do that, right? Like, look with me uh, at Matthew 1 because I, I, I love that the Bible deals with reality. Because when Joseph is presented with this, he's like, you gotta be kidding, like a virgin birth, huh? Uh, Again, these people aren't just like floating through the air. Like this is a grounded, real story with real people, with real reactions like you and me. Let's look at it, Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, which is the Bible kind of giving a wink and saying before they did the deed, if you know what I mean, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Well, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's pause here for a second. You can just picture the scene, right? Like, you can just picture Mary, you know, walking up to Joseph, you know, hey, Joseph. I know she had, like, pet name for him. Hey, Joey, you know, I got some, I got, I got some news. It's big news. You're going to want to sit down. It's, it's unexpected news, but it's happy news. It's happy news. Sit, I told you to sit down. I'm pregnant. And you picture Joseph being like, what? <laughs> what? And she's like, no, 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 this is good news. I, I, it's of the Holy Spirit. An angel came and told me, like, nothing to worry about. What do you think, Joseph? I think I want a divorce, you know? Like, I think I want a divorce. And Joseph's like, I'm not an idiot, Mary. Like, virgins don't just have babies. There's kind of a step that needs to happen, and we haven't done that step. So what do I think? I think I want a divorce. You do the math, Mary. Which is like, can we blame him, right? This also, though, shows the character of Joseph that he doesn't want to put her to to public disgrace, it says, or to expose her and literally put her in grave danger as the consequences for adultery, according to the law, was being stoned to death. But look look at what happens, verse 20. But after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mary is faithful. I think we today, as Protestant Christians, need to elevate our view of Mary. She is faithful. She was right. She indeed is carrying in her womb God himself, which unexpected is kind of the understatement of the year for that, right? Like unexpected, I, yes. God takes on flesh, as, as that text says, to be with us, near us. See, the incarnations, we're talking theology here. This is not cold. This is warm, relational beauty. God drew near to us. We were helpless. We were hopeless and in need of a savior. And he came near in love. So taking a step back, why is this unexpected? Well, first, the the virgin birth in and of itself is unexpected. But second, the very idea of God being born in general is unexpected, regardless of the means. Like just the fact that God was born took on flesh this way is unexpected. Like, just let this sink in. That John passage we all read aloud earlier said that God is the one who made all things, that he is the one who created all things. And if you were here this summer for Colossians, this just echoes the same thing, that that the supreme God of glory, this God who made all things, creates all things, sustains all things, this Lord over all, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, like the supreme one over all, became small. Like what? He became helpless. And again, our, our familiarity is betraying us here. It's betraying all of us. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you, you know Jesus in a manger, you know, like we, we, we've heard this story and it, it's lost its punch it's become so familiar with it. And just uh, try to hear it for the first time. Like try to, to, to take off the lenses we've had on our whole lives and try to put it on afresh. Just, just imagine. Hear it for the first time. Imagine you hear this news. God is coming. He's coming and he's coming to live with us, to dwell with us. He's gonna be here. Like the king of kings is coming to save his people and end all sin. Like he's coming to eradicate evil. He's coming to destroy death. He's coming to crush that old serpent, the devil. Big news. Like this is gonna be running on every news network. You're not gonna miss it. There's gonna be people posting on social media. There's no way we're missing this thing. Front page news. God's coming. You know, the TV cameras are out. Like, you know, here we go. He's coming. What would you expect that to be like? What would you expect God to come like? How would we expect him to arrive? I promise you, none of us expect him to come as a helpless baby. I'm expecting maybe some like walk-up music, you know, like an entourage of angels coming in. I can kind of picture like Aladdin, you know, with like Prince Ali, like the whole entourage. And if that's what they do for him, like how much more God, right? Like just picturing, you know, angels singing, music playing, you know, and after, you know, we built up the processional with pomp and circumstance, the whole thing, we got like a boom, Light beam out of the sky, God comes down, hero pose, you know, big sword, just like, boom, we're ready to rock, you know, like, this is what I'm picturing. Maybe my imagination's just lively. I don't know what you're picturing, but I'm picturing God's coming to wreck his enemies in those empires that stand in opposition to him, ain't messing around. Like, 
That's what I'm picturing. But no, a helpless baby. You just picture like the cameras are rolling, like he's coming, when's he coming? There's a lady back there giving birth, but like, you know, it's like, oh, in, a, in an animal feeding trough. Like, really? Like, really? I think you got the right reaction. Like, 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 like this is kind of ridiculous. See, the incarnation, God taking on flesh as a baby is beyond unexpected. It's so mind-blowing that song after song in this Advent season has tried to capture the wonder. Just a couple that stand out to me. Pastor and hip-hop artist Trip Lee says, the, the, the one who made the skies, he cries. Are you still surprised you could swaddle up God? Swaddle up God. I mean, I'll just be honest. This, I have two sons, and I remember holding Levi for the first time, and actually one of the first thoughts was, this is how Jesus came. And it just, the whole thing felt different to me as I looked upon Advent. You could swaddle up God. The Gettys in their beautiful Christmas hymn, Joy as Dawn says, hands that set each star in place. The hands that placed each star that shaped the earth in darkness. Cling now to a mother's breast, vulnerable and helpless. I was listening to these songs this week, and Lily was like moved to tears just with how unexpected this is. This is how God comes. This is how he takes on flesh, a helpless baby. It's not the story any of us would have written, but it is the true story of the world, fulfilling every prophecy God made and accomplishing every single promise God made. This is how God comes. But it's the way he comes for our salvation. A quick aside, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on, but Advent is a season to look back to Jesus' first arrival and ahead to his second arrival. Jesus' first Advent, and remember, Advent means arrival. Jesus' first Advent was marked by humble obscurity, right? Laying down his life for our salvation. Manger, cross, like the first coming, humble obscurity. His second advent will be marked by glorious power and the restoration of all things. So church family, what we need to do in this advent season is, is remember both. Because a day is coming. And I think part of what we need to do when we gather here is remember what's happened, but also anticipate and remember what will happen. Because a day is coming when Jesus Christ will come again in glory on a white horse, defeating every foe and making everything new. Advent is a season to remember the humility, yes, but also to anticipate the glory. Look back and look forward. You could say where we live today is between the advents of Christ. That's where we're situated today. We live between the advents. As that Getty song, Joy is Dawn, beautifully says in its final words, Son of Adam, son of heaven, given as a ransom, reconciling God and man, Christ our mighty champion. What a savior, what a friend, what a glorious mystery. Once a babe in Bethlehem, now the Lord of history. What a glorious mystery indeed. 
but it is the hope of the world. It is what we build our life upon. It is the way, the truth, the life. It just is who Jesus is coming for our salvation. Amen? So big picture. God took on flesh. We got these three questions. You know that next slide. One, what does it mean? Two, why was it unexpected? But three, this is important. How does it shape our lives today? We're not coming here just to talk concepts. How should this shape our lives today? What I wanna do with this last question is look at three pillars uh, of God taking on flesh that ought to shape our lives today. Because here's the deal, here's the deal. following Jesus 101, if you're, again, new to this, or if you're like, I, I don't know if I, I wanna trust in Jesus yet, I'm, I'm just here. Following Jesus 101, we want you to be oh, like upfront what this is about. We are called to trust in Jesus, but also we are called to be formed more into the image of Jesus, to reflect Jesus. This is what this whole deal is about. Trust in Jesus and then start becoming more like Jesus, living in light of Jesus, living like Jesus, right? If we've been doing this for a while, this is what this is about, right? So the question is, how should God taking on flesh, how should this reality of the incarnation inform this? How should this shape our lives today? So I have three things. First would be humility. The incarnation ought to make us incredibly humble. The Lord of all creation condescends. The Lord of all creation humbles himself. The God of gods lowers himself. To be born as a helpless baby, the limitless, all-powerful, eternal Lord becomes limited and dependent. As those songs and scriptures say, the one who put stars in place by word is now swaddled up in nursing. Philippians 2 says this, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the life of Jesus is a life of humility. From incarnation to crucifixion, he descends so we can be raised up. He descends so we can be raised up. He dies so we might live. And here is the obvious yet brutally convicting reality here. If God, the king of all creation, is humble, how much more should we be, right? If God, king of kings, lord of lords, if, if we think Haystack Rock's impressive, he made it, you know? Like if this one is humble, how much more should we be? Like a, a proud Christian should be an oxymoron, right? But, but sadly, it isn't. And guys, I, I'll confess to you, I am a flawed man in many ways. But pride is an area I need to repent and grow in. Like, I need this message today. I'm often preoccupied with myself. There are narcissistic tendencies in my heart. I think of myself far too highly. I'm too often far too concerned with how I'm perceived, even by you right now. I want you to think I'm funny. I want you to think I'm intelligent. 
I want you to think I'm interesting. I want you to think I'm worth following as a pastor and as a leader. And every time I get on the stage, I, I wrestle with that. Like today. It's just pride. It's just pride. And it's ugly. And I need God's mercy and his grace. And I need the spirit of Jesus to make me more like Jesus, which is a humble man. So the incarnation. Like I need to look to the incarnation. If Jesus is supremely humble. How much more should this be my inspiration, my engine, and my example? The incarnation for all of us, God taking on flesh, gives us the shape of the Christian life, which is one of humility. That's the first pillar. That's the first way. But, but also, second, presence. Second, presence. The incarnation shows us that God moves near. He moves near. So we ought to be a present people. We started with John 1, verse 14. I want to look at that again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the message version, Eugene Peterson says this. I love it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Moved into the neighborhood. See, God, he saw our helpless state. And he didn't stand far off and say, you got yourself into that mess. Now you're going to deal with it. God didn't say, you made your bed, now you got to lie in it. Yet, that would have been fair of God. God could have said, these are the consequences. I laid it out really plainly. Is that what he does? No. But he would have been just to do that, fair to do that. But no, that's not what he does. Right? What does he do? He gets his hands dirty draws near to us in our brokenness and sin. God moves into our neighborhood to heal, to save, to redeem. So therefore, again, as God drew near to us, we ought to draw near to others. As God moved into our neighborhood, it should be very easy for us to cross to the other side of the tracks, whatever that means to us. Like, if God moved in, if God crossed the boundary from heaven to earth to draw near to us, then any boundary across any line should not be a challenge. Like, that should not be something that's like, that does not compute. Like, this is what it means to follow Jesus, to be shaped into the image of Jesus. We reflect him as God crossed every boundary to draw near to us. We are called to draw near to others. See, what we can't do as Christians, we can never say, well, that's the city's problem. They've rejected Jesus. They've made their bed, now they lied in it. You know, like this, is a, this culture is rejecting Jesus. These are the consequences you get. For God never did that with us. Pastor Tim Keller says, be up on the screen, God came to earth, moved into your spiritually poor neighborhood, as it were, and helped you even though your spiritual problems were your own fault. God helped me, even though my spiritual problems were my own fault. It's called grace. God helped you, even the best of us, even though our spiritual problems were our own faults. See, when we see, I just wanna linger here for a second. God saved us, God served us, God moved towards us, taking on flesh, even though we were ill-deserving, even though we were undeserving, even though we squander it daily, we sin daily, 
This is all of our stories, right? So how much more should we move in towards our world? How much more should we move in, lean in with a faithful presence towards our world? See, when we see the needy, when we see the poor, when we see the broken areas in our community, we incarnate, we move in with a faithful presence, with a gospel presence, for God did this for us. See, all of our action, this is just true of the Christian life, all of our action is just a reaction to what God's already done for us. We love because we're already loved by God. We show compassion because we're already shown compassion by God. We move in because God's already moved into our spiritually poor neighborhood. And I just want to be the first to acknowledge, like, this is going to be really hard. This is not going to be easy. This is not going to feel good. But again, like Jesus, his incarnation, which led to his crucifixion, was not pleasant. But again, this is the shape of the Christian life. This is going to cost us. It's probably gonna cost us relationally. It's probably gonna cost us financially. It's gonna cost us comfort. It's gonna cost us ease. But the incarnation calls us to move in, to draw near, to lean in with a faithful gospel presence. And this is why, like, lest this gets too abstract, this is why we partner with Refugee Care Collective. As we see people hurting in our city, displaced by war and famine, we, we draw near, showing the hospitable love of Jesus, providing basic living supplies uh, through the restart kits. You've done that restart kit drive. We had to bring out the U-Haul truck because you brought so many of them. Like, yes, this is why we do mentorship relationships and tangibly show the love of Christ who moved towards us. This is why we partner with Project Homeless Connect, and we have a bin out there in the lobby, right here in Washington County. There is a crisis in our city. That's not news to anybody in this room. But as followers of Jesus, we move in, we meet needs, we fill gaps, we serve. For this is the incarnational way of Jesus, from refugees to those experiencing homelessness, all the way to the other side of the world. This is why we partner with Africa Renewal and other great organizations all over the world. For where there is brokenness, where we see hunger, where we see injustice, where we see basic living standards not being met, where we see people starving, uh, we move in. Like this is why wherever we see brokenness in God's world, the people of God move towards it. For this is the way of Jesus, amen? So what I actually wanna do is is pause and mix things up a little bit. Uh, Jose is actually doing this work right now over in Hanoi, Vietnam. And he has a quick video uh, for us that helps color this in of what it looks like to lean in. So actually, that'd be great for us just to catch from his own words uh, what's going on in Vietnam, and then we'll jump back in. Hello, church family, Jose here. And yes, I own a suit. Actually, a couple of them. I'm here in Hanoi, Vietnam. I wanna just give you a little bit of a bird's eye view from the top of our hotel, a city of more than eight and a half million people. And I'll share more when I'm home, but I wanted you to hear in real time, uh, only the second time ever since communism began that a Westerner has been given permission to publicly proclaim the gospel outside on public land. And it happened last night. More than 10,000 people showed up. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but there had to be five, seven hundred, maybe even more respond to the gospel, I was in tears. No surprise, I cry a lot. <laughs> um, but not even believing like this is happening, what's been closed for so long is 
is amazingly opening up quickly. And I'm here, uh, I preached at a business leaders outreach. Half of the people who attended responded in faith to Jesus. What does this tell us? That the good news, right? This unexpected good news, the, the advent of Jesus, it leads us to go out into places that we never thought of. And so I'm here on your behalf uh, to share the good news on behalf of Jesus, but yes, on behalf of our church. And we're also here strategically praying and I'm meeting with leaders on Monday and Tuesday to look at future opportunities. I mean, this is an overwhelmingly huge place and with all sorts of challenges, less than 2% claim any bit of Christian connection, let alone attend a church or actually follow Jesus. But God is able. And so as we think about the miracle of Christmas and how God came among us, I want you to already be dreaming and praying about what God may have for us in the future here in Vietnam. Like, I'm not going to say it with precision that God is calling us to do more work, but I've already been invited to the church that I preached at this morning. The only church in the entire city that owns land, only one is allowed to because it's 100 years old. And I was able to preach the gospel there this morning, met with the leaders. They've already invited me back for next year. I'm off to preach at the fastest growing church. I won't even name the name just because this is all going online and it may be unregistered. And, uh, and I'm about to preach there in about an hour, but uh, there are open doors for all of us. And so I rejoice the people who come into faith like right now here in Hanoi, Vietnam, and let's pray with an open mind and heart to what God may have us do, what God may have you do in the months and years to come. Love you, uh, and I'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Uh, I'm blown away. Amen, right? Amen. Amen. I feel like this was the right place to show that. Like as we talk about moving in, right? Whether that's, whether that's moving towards the broken pockets of our world from Hanoi to Hillsborough, the incarnation calls us to a humble, gospel, faithful presence. This is the heart of God. My friend Josh Butler says in one of my favorite books, The Pursuing God, be up on the screen, divinity gets dusty as the Father, through the Son and the Holy Spirit, comes after our world. God isn't afraid of getting dirty. And so we shouldn't be either. Let's move in. As God comes after his world, let us move in. Let us draw near. So we're talking about humility. How should the incarnation shape us? Humility, also presence, and then the last pillar is love. The incarnation shows us that God loves us. It's the most famous Bible verse for a reason. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. So I'm gonna slow this down. It's so familiar. For God so loved the world. Loved. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So why did the father send his son? And why did the son come? Because God loves us. Like just lean in to that reality. God loves you. The plan of God all along involved a manger, God taking on flesh, but the reality is the manger leads to a tree. The manger leads to a cross. Jesus put on flesh to die for us, to save us, to redeem us. And just the, the question that like moved me to tears this week is why would God, like what would drive Jesus 
to go through such humiliation? What would cause him to endure such condescension? Why would he do this? Because he loves you. Because he loves me. Because he loves us. Therefore, as the humility of God calls us to be humble, as the presence of God and calls us to be present with others, therefore, the incarnation calls us to a double love, to receive love and sacrifice, to receive it, and also to give ourselves away in love as a living sacrifice to others. A double love, to receive it afresh and to give it away to others. This is the basic, yet radical, difficult, we never outgrow it, fundamental pillar of the Christian faith. This is the radical, unique reality of Christianity. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. This Advent season, would we reflect on the wonder that Jesus came, that he humbled himself, that he moved into our neighborhood, that he took on flesh to save you because he loves you. One more quote. Dane Ortland in his excellent book, Gentle and Lowly, says this. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. Repent and let him love you. Repent of your small thoughts of God's heart. Repent and let him love you. Whether that's for the first time today or for the thousandth time today. Would we repent and let him love us? So church family, Repent and believe, as we close here, is the, is the most frequent response found in the New Testament. So as we sh- seek to be shaped by the incarnation reflected to the world, we're gonna model this. What step this morning do you need to take to press more into humility, presence, and love? What steps do you take? Here's some questions to process. It'll be up on the screen. Maybe take a photo of it. Use it in your time devotionally this week. What does it look like to repent of our pride and walk in the incarnation's way of humility, thinking less of ourselves and our own self-interests, what does it look like to repent? What does it look like to repent of distancing ourselves from others, from those people? I trust the Spirit's bringing someone to mind or a group to mind. What does it look like to repent of distancing ourselves from others in the name of comfort or convenience? How can we reflect the pursuing love of God to the people and places around us that are hurting? And what does it look like to elevate our thoughts of God's heart and open our hearts to receive his love afresh? As the band comes up, brothers and sisters, would we be re-enchanted with the Advent story? Would we be struck afresh with the awe and wonder of God taking on flesh and incarnating? The eternal one who flung stars in place became low and helpless, born of a virgin, to one day die so that we might live. God took on flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Let's pray. Let's respond. Jesus, thank you for your humility. Thank you for your presence. And thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, would you help make us a humble, present, loving people. All of our actions is your reaction to what you've already done. So Spirit of the living God, would you fill us now to respond and live these things out? As the old Christmas hymn says, a weary world rejoices.
Our world is weary. Our world is lonely. But you are God with us. You are near. You are here right now. Would these realities spur us on to give ourselves away for the sake of the world? We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We give you all the glory and the fame and the honor forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. So I, I feel like as we talk about love in the manger leading to a cross, I feel like the appropriate response is actually to start our time of response with communion. It's actually inviting you to stand. What we're gonna do in a moment is go to the tables. Because the incarnation would lead to a crucifixion. We just wanna remember this. And remember, as the story just becomes so familiar, to encourage you as you go back to the tables in a moment to reflect on these things. What things do you need to repent of? And if you right now, you're like, I need to process with God. And I need to do work with my pride or my distancing or my, maybe my heart's grown cold in some areas or I just feel moved that I've grown stagnant or this story has become too familiar. Before you take communion, there's gonna be people up here on each side that would love to pray with you. Would you pray, process with God and then take communion? So we wanna give you space now. The band's actually gonna sing a song that John wrote, which is a beautiful song called Emmanuel, God with us. So as they sing this song over us, go and take communion, come and pray, let's process together, and then let's, let's take the communion all together when the song's over. So right now you're dismissed to go to the tables, to come forward in prayer, and let's take it all together. Let's reflect and respond.